talking about is authentic love. And authentic love can only be experienced in an authentic person, right? And you can only be an authentic person when you experience authentic love. And that's why you can only build an identity in Jesus Christ, because you'll never discover your authentic self without him. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor Podcast, a podcast designed to coach you up in your faith. Mm -hmm. The more you know, the more you can grow. The importance of growing your faith is more critical now than ever, and this is why you should invite people to be part of the Salty Pastor Podcast. My name is Jesse Mayer. I'll be your host, but we cannot do this without the one, the only, the Salty Pastor himself, Dr. Douglas Peak. Hey, everyone. Welcome. It's so good to be here with you, and our ministry is growing. You know, you can check out our, we have our own website called the saltypastor.com. Calm, calm. It, it's not quite open yet. Oh, it's not up and running yet. Not okay, yet. Ha! we're close. I've been, this week on Tuesday, I threw the rumble curveball at you. I know. <laughs> You're like, what are you doing, Pastor? Pastor's just excited about sharing the salty pastor with as many people as he can, and he's going to go wherever he needs to to yeah. do it. So. Before you know it, we're going to do silly dances on TikTok I for know, the salty right? pastor. <laughs> do some TikTok shorts. <laughs> there you go. But yeah, it, you know what? You one way you could help if you're a, a salty pastor or listener is log on to or just go to YouTube, kind of log on in there, whatever, real quick, and go to our page, like and subscribe. Mm. That that's a big deal because uh, that really helps with a lot of uh, technological infrastructure. So you could do that, and then hopefully we'll figure out how to get on Rumble eventually one day, and then you can do it there as well. So you know, there's those are really different audiences. People watch YouTube and people watch Rumble, so. Uh, I think that'll be a good thing for us to expand as much as possible. Absolutely. We are in our current series, which is all about an honest conversation about mental health, and mm -hmm. it's titled Weeds in My Garden. We use this title for this series from another church because it really describes a core issue around mental health. We have visions of our lives, a garden that we present this image to people around us. We, we present roses, basically, just so that people won't look behind us to what the weeds in our garden look like and yeah. and that's where we're wanting to be we want to say hey step into this garden and this is what it is weeds and all right now this series is an attempt to talk honestly about the weeds that we all face in the garden of life so on tuesday we kind of explored the truth of you know human beings being predominantly motivated by love um let's talk more about that today pastor on tuesday we talked um we did some scripture and, and talked about sort of the biblical sense of love, but I'd love yeah. for you to kind of break down even more as it applies to today. Well, what we're talking about here is not like a sexual love, which is the predominant type of love that is, uh, you know, propagated in our society, celebrated and worshipped, you know, mm. is this uh, sexual love. But what we're talking about is authentic love. And authentic love can only be experienced in an authentic person, right? And you can only be an authentic person when you experience authentic love. And that's why you can only build an identity in Jesus Christ, because you'll never discover your authentic self without him. It, it's a love that hits you in the depth of your soul. And if you're struggling with a mental health issue or you know somebody is, uh, oftentimes the glitch, the thing that is uh, feeding the mental illness uh, those other buckets. Yeah, those know, buckets oftentimes are influenced by this notion of what is real love. You know, um, I know a story of a young gal. She grew up in a family, and she was in her mid-20s, 
and she had all kinds of issues with depression and anxiety. Uh, she had a drug addiction that she had developed. And in her process of recovery, you know, she looked back and she basically said that, well, what happened is when I was 15 years old, I was dating this guy and he said, you know, I have needs. If you don't want to meet my needs, then I'm going to go somewhere else. And so she gave her virginity to him. And she says, that is, that is the cascade of, of all my problems. And so sometimes when we get a warped sense of what real love is, and often that happens among kids, right? Because when you're a kid, you're not completely mature yet. And so then that, that caused all these problems. And she says it wasn't until, even though I was raised in a Christian home, you know, I did that. And I, she said, I had all these problems. I, I would go to, you know, I dated all these guys, slept with all these guys. I'd go to parties and get drunk and black out. And I'd do all these things because she felt, she said, you know, I think in deep down I felt I was a bad person, right? Because I, I, I had followed that path. And then she goes on to say that her parents, you know, wouldn't let her go to the college she wanted. They say, you have to go to this Christian school. She goes to this Christian school, flunks out, you know, right away. And just, she says, nothing helped. And it wasn't until she came back home and she started going to a church and she, the pastor stood up and talked about these, these life things. And she heard it. She goes, he was like describing my life. And she said, so I finally came to Christ. And that's where her healing, healing journey began. And, but she had all these mental health struggles, right? Because she had got, looked to the world to give her identity, and the, ident and the world lied to her. And so, so what's interesting is that you can fix that spiritual issue, but that addiction doesn't go away. Right. And, and so you have to treat the addiction too. Yeah, it's a both-and approach, it's right? It's a both-and approach, yeah. And well, but that's her heal. But but her healing journey couldn't start until she addressed that issue, that identity issue first. And that identity issue has is, am I truly loved mm -hmm. and accepted by God? Yeah, I think you're speaking to something that's so important, which is just you have to. I mean, it, it goes back to this kind of thing we keep saying, which is help and hope. Right. Yes. If you don't have hope if you're like. I can't be loved. I have no identity. I'm a bad person innately, right? Mm -hmm. And and we've seen this happen a lot. People that grow up in Christian homes, they make a mistake and then they kind of like spiral out of this and they forget the part where Jesus says, I'll love you despite how flawed you are. Mm -hmm. And they go, well, I'm too bad and I've already gone down this path, so I'm just going to keep going deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper, right? And yeah. and, and Jesus is calling you back and we're like, no, I have so much better things for you. I love you despite that right right and i know who you really are mm -hmm. i know you're not a bad person i know who you really are come back to me and that's when they can start really having a transformational relationship with jesus and then that strongly influences how they deal with any biological clinical or situational Correct. struggles they're dealing with right and that can be a catalyst for transformation in those areas as well well and i i think you know a lot of times you know a really good therapist basically walks people through these steps of of identity i think it's really difficult for a therapist to be highly successful if they don't have this sense of who god is and how god operates a purely secular approach ultimately is nihilistic in other words it doesn't matter you're taught to cope as opposed to be whole 
And I, I think that is a significant difference between what the world is attempting to do and what God is trying to do in his kingdom for people. And so, but in the end, you know, regardless of what you're struggling with, you know, uh, you have to have that sense that there is hope that God does love you. Now, you can go to, a, uh, you know, if you have an issue with, like, let's say, schizophrenia, okay? Uh, a therapist isn't going to help you if you have an issue with schizophrenia, right? You have to go to a psychiatrist who can diagnose that. And then that psychiatrist is going to have to treat that, right? Uh, for periods like lithium. They give you lithium. You're, you're perfectly normal. But I'd, I'd like to point out that our society in general, this is really salty to say, doesn't care about the mentally ill. Really doesn't. Is, and the reason I say that is because in the United States of America today, we have a huge homeless problem. And what happened is there was a desire amongst progressives in our society to try to control the housing market, right? They're trying to control the cost and stuff of living. Well, that didn't work, and so uh, the ACLU took on a case because we had a bunch of uh, mental hospitals, care facilities, things of this nature. So back in the 70s, early 80s, I can't remember the date exactly, the ACL sued in a class action lawsuit in federal court that you couldn't put those, keep those people in there, right? And so what happened is these people are in these, their assisted care facilities, and they're, being, they're given their meds every day. And guess what? They're almost perfectly normal people, right? They're... They're, they're getting the care they need. They need they're getting the care they need and they're 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 having really great people. So the ACLU they, so a lot of them said, Well, I'd like to leave or whatever. Maybe there should have been a different approach to keeping them in these. I don't know. But what the ACLU did is it sued, they won, and then so these people will go to these things, they will take their meds, and they'll they'll start thinking clearly. They say, Okay, I'm good, I wanna leave. They have to let them go. They leave, and then what's the first thing they stop doing? Taking the meds. Taking the meds. And what we see today is that when we talk about the homeless problem out there, I know this is salty to say, but the homeless problem is not driven by a lack of affordable housing. It's not. It's very rare that the issue is affordable housing. It's almost always has to do with mental illness and drug addiction. Those are the two major driving factors of homelessness. And if you work with uh, here in the Treasure Valley, we have one of the largest, most successful, uh, I used to call them rescue missions. They're not called that anymore. But it's a, a group uh, that works with the homeless and works with people who are in need. And the main, the main thing is, is that they can help anybody, but there's one requirement in order to receive help. And you know what that is? Is that you can't use while you're seeking help, right? And a lot of people don't want to do that. They don't want to surrender that. So, so I think the issue is, is that, back to this, is that our society is going in a direction where it says it cares about people, but when you look at the street, you're saying it really doesn't. And it's such a politicized 
try to solve the problem, it always has to do with, well, what we need is more communism to solve this problem, you know, or we need more of this. I'm like, th- th- this do- that is not how you solve these problems. It's we have to understand the the innate struggle of these people. Right. And we have to have mitigating factors and address these needs. And but if we're going to allow illegal and illicit drugs to pour in through our country unabated and then we're going to continually decriminalize all drugs, we're going to have a lot more mental health issues. Right. Because those mental health is highly affected by illicit drug use. Now, why, why do I bring that up? Well, because the whole issue is, is that the reason why oftentimes people turn to things like illicit drugs or other things is I think is because they struggle with, af- with acceptance. They, they struggle with this notion that they're actually accepted and loved, right? And we are social beings. Our physical being is highly affected by our emotional well-being, our mental health, and loneliness and isolation are devastating on human beings. And when you look at it, what all the good things that our society tries to build our goals based on and motivated by love, right? And sometimes it's misguided love, but you have to you have to concede that sometimes people are well-intentioned, okay? But the real issue isn't that we're motivated by love. The real issue is what happens when we love the wrong things. Mm. That that's really the key thing is when we love the wrong things, and that is is that well, like for instance, in the issue with the homeless that have diagnosable and treatable mental illnesses right and we say well i love my freedom more than i love my mental health and so okay well when we when we love the wrong thing and we know this is true in other areas what about money you know money isn't evil money is isn't good (laughs) it's not good or bad it's a thing right it's a tool but we do know this what happens when a person loves money that's a problem. Paul says that the love of money, not money, but the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Mm. What about success, right? Success is, is really an outgrowth of our ambition. And ambition is wonderful, like we were saying on Tuesday. I love the innovation and the growth of our society. I love ambitious young men and women who want to go out and do something and make a difference. It's wonderful. But what happens when a person falls in love with success? Right? Don't don't we go, ooh, I don't that person's kind of narcissistic. Right. I don't want to be around them. So why do we fall in love with the wrong things? Because our souls are validated when we experience this type when we experience love of anything, our souls are validated. However, it is the thirst it is the thirst for love in the wrong things that gives us mental health struggles. Therefore, the one thing that you can do to help with your own mental struggles is work on the experience of authentic love. If the, the best thing you can do to help somebody else is to help them experience the authentic love that only comes from one place and one place alone, and that is Jesus. Well, let's get practical. How does a person remain motivated by love, but a love that's authentic and true? We don't get wrapped up in one of these things that's going to lead us down a bad path. Well, I, I think the way we do that is, I, I don't want to sound trite, but by knowing Jesus, because Jesus is real love. Remember how we said uh, on Tuesday we were digging in the biblical principle that God is love? 
And so when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, the, the thing is, is that the only way to experience real life, real truth, uh, and to experience love, which is God, then what we have to do is we have to experience him. There's no other way to God because there's no other path of authentic love. There's a lot of tempting ones, but ultimately they're not true. And so if a person is subconsciously driven by love, then it's completely rational to conclude that by connecting with authentic love, your soul then will be satisfied. Remember what mm. Jesus told the woman at the well. Hey, you, you, you people drink of the water all the time. They're always going to thirst again. But if you drink of the water that I give you, you will never thirst again. This is a key factor in dealing with mental illness because when a person is unable to experience authentic love, real love, their mental health suffers, right? They, you know, if you have a biological proclivity towards depression and you are told your whole life, if you don't, if you're not a millionaire by your th time you're 30, you're not successful, then what's going to happen when you're not a millionaire by 30? Mm. You know, the no depression is waiting and knocking on your door. And well, why? Because it, it's like, okay, that is love of money, right? Or love of success, you know? So th th it's really important. Conversely speaking, when a person has a loving relationship in their life, like for instance, a strong family, it can really help dealing with the challenges of mental health in a positive way. So it's one of the factors that can help. So you see how the whole o notion of true love is experienced only by knowing authentic love, which is Jesus. Yeah, I think what we really struggle with most of the time is how, how do you really keep all of that focused, right? Because ultimately the devil spins out all of these lies to the world and the world then f has some influence over us of how we perceive what love is, right? We're mm -hmm. seeing what the devil is trying to convince us of, which is that love is sex. Love is, uh, all these other forms other than the true form. Right. And yeah. it really just breaks our radar as far as what, what we're actually trying to experience. Right. Mm -hmm. We, we have this view of whether it's a romance novel or some, uh, chick flick or, you know, an action movie where we see love being portrayed or quote unquote love being portrayed in all these different ways. And none of them look like the love that Jesus offers. Right. Mm -hmm. But we don't see that as often. So it's hard for us to go, Oh, that's the one I want, or right. that's the one I need. Yeah. We see the one that's, you know, the guys with his shirt half tore off and he's <laughs> swinging off of a rope trying to save the, the damsel in distress. Right. And it's yeah. like, Oh, that seems cool. That, I, I want to do that. Right. Mm -hmm. But instead what we should be looking for is this guy that came 2000 years ago who said, this is what authentic love is. Right. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's where we, we, we get lost a little bit. And the fact that we can fall in love with objects, right? Like I think what you brought up was really important is you can start, you know, the Bible uses the word idolize, right? Mm -hmm. But really what we're coming down to is you're loving something more than God, right? And Correct. that's what idolatry is. I love money more than I love spending time with God. Mm -hmm. I love X, Y, or Z more than I like spending time serving at church, right? And yes. so those things are really important for us to understand what we're loving and how we perceive love, mm -hmm. and that's going to affect our mental health. So if Jesus is pure love, authentic love, mm -hmm. 
then why do we struggle with him so much? <laughs> like if he's <laughs> if he's this ultimate expression that is so amazing and good for us, why is it that we don't just why were we not as addicted to him as we are to everything else in this world? Well, that's what I've been trying to you know make this point over and over again, isn't that is that it's uh, certain ideologies that have been seeded into American society today, right? Our society is creating mental health struggles. Mm. Uh, it, it it could, I, I, I'll grant that it could be in part by, to diet, right. you know, but also the availability of alcohol and drugs is just off the charts. One One of my experiences often as a pastor is I have young couples come in and say, man, we're really... You know, and when I say young couple, I mean a couple in their 30s, uh, late 20s. They've been married. Mo- these couples most often don't have kids. They come in or they have very young kids, and they go, you know, I don't know what's going on with my husband, you know. And he comes in, and he's like, man, I have all these suicidal thoughts. And, and of course, when I started out as a young pastor and I would counsel, I'd go, oh, well, let's dig into what's going on. And I'd look for roots of bitterness, or I would look for unforgiveness, or I would look for these types of things that might lead to depression and thoughts of suicide. But I don't do that anymore. You know, mm. the first thing I ask now is, well, are you on any de- antidepressants? And they, oh, well, yeah, I was kind of feeling down, a little blue, and a doctor put me on some antidepressants. And I go, uh, are you drinking any alcohol? And they go, no, I'm not drinking any alcohol because you can't drink alcohol on when you're taking antidepressants. And I go, yeah, because the number one symptom of drinking alcohol when you're on antidepressants is, you know what? suicidal thoughts right and i so then i ask them and i say this are you drinking beer oh yeah no yeah i drink beer and i go are you aware that beer contains alcohol alcohol?" (laughs) and the look on people's faces when i say that is surprising to me how oh i didn't make that connection and i said okay first thing we're going to do is you know could could this be a spiritual issue sure you know that could be a spiritual issue but let's resolve the chemical issue first. Right. <laughs> let's let's get into the clinical bucket here. Now, I'm not a clinician, right? Right. But I I have enough experience. There's some you basic know? chemistry that you can go, yeah. hey, it says don't do this. Yeah. And it says don't do that. Yeah, and I have a doctorate in ministry and we're trained in counseling and all of a sudden to get to that level of it. Anyway, so I'm just like, okay, let's let's resolve that. And once that happens, you know, then and of course, you know, they go back, they detox, you know, and they come back two weeks later. Oh, yeah, I'm fine now. I realize, yeah. Okay, well, let's now address the issue of why you felt you needed to go on antidepressants. So so what am I saying? Is all mental health struggles due to the fact that doctors overprescribe antidepressants? No, I am not saying that at all. But I am saying it happens a lot, mm. right? Um, and the other thing, too, is when you start playing with your brain chemistry, because all mental health struggles are a chemical imbalance at some level because your memories and your thoughts and your feelings and your convictions are stored chemically, neurologically in your brain. Right. And so you mess with the, the transfer synapters in the brain, the neuro, neuro links in there, you're going to have problems. I've talked about this thing called neuropathways before, and that is, is that our beliefs that lead to an action that elicit a specific response emotionally like an adrenaline or dopamine release creates a neurological pathway in your brain right and what happens is your brain is designed right to create these neuropathways because it is attempting to make sense out of a world 
in sensory of overload, right? Yeah, five mm. senses, and and so that's why you can you know live and ignore ninety percent of the sensory stuff happening around you, right? You know, because your brain is a phenomenal, phenomenal creation. It's a phenomenal tool, right? But the downside of it is it forms neural links, and not every neural pathway is good. Is good, <laughs> you know. And that is, you know, the hardest neural pathway. I think I've had to adjust a few, but one of the most difficult ones is donuts, man. Mm. That has been that is, I still struggle with that, you know. And I mean, I, I it's it was so bad at one time. I would eat a two day old donut, you know. I mean, I would go overboard. I, it's Ugh. it's two days old. I mean, have you ever eaten a two day old donut? No, I have not. I mean, there's, there's no preservatives in them. There's no nothing. They are stale, as hard as a rock. And you're thinking, well, maybe I'll get just a little something out of it, you know? Right. It's like, oh boy, you're bad when you'll do that. So the bottom line is, uh, I was saying that slightly in jest, but it just showing <laughs> you the point is that our society is creating more mental health problems okay and the reason it it's doing this is because it adopts ideologies and these ideologies don't like jesus that's the answer to the question that's why people struggle with jesus it wants to eradicate his worldview it wants to eradicate his followers from the public life that's what secularism is all about there, there's an entire organization in minnesota called freedom from religion and their whole premise is to eradicate all public expressions of faith, you know? And so this is crazy. Why do they want to do that? Because they want their ideology, their religion, their worldview to take control. And one of the things about Christianity is because it's based on an objective truth proposition is that whenever you want to try to take control over a group of people and tell them how to think, Christianity is your number one barrier. Mm-hmm. Because it, it's tied to an objective truth, you know? And so that, you have to attack it and undermine it at every level, you know? And so I, this is salty, but a lot of people spend time as like, okay, Christianity has become less influential in America. And a lot of people always blame the church, you know? Oh, the church isn't relevant enough, or the church isn't this, or the church isn't that. The church needs to be better at marketing and better at outreach and better at this and better at that. I go, oh, okay, if a church wants to reach people and be better, I like that. But the reason why Christianity is becoming less is not because of the church or the failure of the church. It's because these ideologies that are in absolute opposition know and have known for over 60 years that the only way to advance their belief system, their ideology, is to eradicate Christianity. So they have attacked it and undermined it in unbelievable ways. And what has been the result of that now? Is that, does America have the same problems it did 150 years ago? Oh, the form may be different, but yeah, we still have the same problems. But now we're also... We have problems we never had before, like mental health issues and more division than ever before. And it seems to me that we don't have less racism. Uh, now we're getting new kinds of racism, right? Right. And we're getting new kinds of anti-Semitism. And we're getting new kinds of hierarchical, you know, structural, cultural Marxist bigotry. Uh, there are more oppressed groups than not oppressed groups. It's just getting crazy. Why is that? 
It's not because Christianity didn't do its job. It's not because God isn't in charge. The reason why is these ideologies have specifically attempted to seed themselves into our culture, and they use mass media and our educational system to propagate them, and they've been very effective at it. But that doesn't mean they've won, and it doesn't mean that they always win. It just means that hmm, we need to be better prepared, and we need to better. And that's why we do the Salty Pastor, so that you can know about these things and that you can prepare yourself for them as well. And that's one of the ways that we that would motivate us to do that. The one of the things that motivates us to care, the thing that motivates us to push back against these ideologies is that if we allow them to continue to take control, if we allow them to have success, the end result is mental instability among people, particularly young people. It's going to increase and not decrease. And I am here as a salty pastor to say to you, we will not go down that path. There's some of you who need to uh, understand that there is a God and he truly loves you. He is the one who will help you discover who you really are. That when you meet him face to face, when you walk with him, follow him, you discover not only that you are completely accepted and loved, but that you are not you right now are not who you were meant to be. And what I mean by that is this. Jesus loves you to accept you with all of your flaws. You don't have to clean up, change, you know, get better before you come to Jesus. You come to Jesus as you are with all of your flaws, all of your wrong beliefs, all of your confusion, all of your brokenness. It doesn't matter. But you got to realize that when you meet him face to face, he also loves you so intensely. He's not going to let you stay that way because that way is a violation of your authentic self. Mm. They are inauthentic identities. They are false identities. They are false paths of love. They are idols. And that's what I love how what earlier in our conversation you brought this up, the issue of idolatry. And that is, is that. When God said in the Old Testament, don't turn to idols, a lot of, you know, you have to read the description of idolatry in Isaiah and other places. And, and the whole point, the description of idolatry in those other places in the Old Testament, always this, like, like one in particular that says, a man takes a, a tree stump, he carves it into a wooden figure, and then he falls down, he worships it. He goes, what good is a tree stump going to do for you? because mm. it's just a tree stump, right. right? He says, turn to God because God can actually do something for you. You know, God is real. And so the, that's the point of idolatry is that idols are false gods. They're false. They don't deliver the promise. They are not authentic love. They are not authentic identity. They are not authentic experience. They are not authentic living. They are lesser things. That's why when we come to know Christ, we have a new identity in him, and that identity is love. It's pure and, pure and unadulterated love. And so if you're struggling with something out there, I want you to know this more than anything else. There is a God who loves you, and he knows your authentic self, and he wants you to discover what it is. Well, thank you, Pastor, so much for sharing with us today. Um, I'm excited to 
dive more into this on Sunday with Pastor Harv. I'm sure he's going to really bring he's some gonna different, rock it. Uh, different uh, perspectives on this, um, but all in line with what you've um, shared with us today. So thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll see you on Sunday here at the Foothills Christian Church or next Tuesday here on the Salty Pastor Podcast. Blessings. Thank you.